welcome to week two in a series that we started last week that we've been calling Decisions. And uh, if you're a guest with us this morning, man, thank you so much for being here. We just count it an honor and a privilege that you be with us. But basically, you can probably tell just from the title of this series, what we're talking about is we are talking about the art of decision making, right? And, and what we've been saying is we've been saying that one thing that all of us have in common is that through the course of a day, every single one of us is making hundreds upon hundreds of decisions. And those decisions, of course, range from the big complex decisions, the life-altering decisions, to even the small, even subconscious decisions that we make on a day-to-day basis. And what we've been saying in this series is we've been saying that, man, this probably goes without saying, but our decisions really matter. They really matter because, as you know, our decisions over time will compound and they will set a trajectory for our life and that will ultimately lead uh, to a certain destination. So our decisions really matter. So this series is relevant for everyone as we talk about the art of decision-making. How do we make great decisions? And and even though this series is relevant for everybody, this series might be especially timely for some of you. I know that some of you right now maybe are, are in the midst of facing a major decision, kind of a big life decision right now. And so some of you, maybe you just graduated from high school or you graduated from college and you're, you're faced with some big decisions, right? You're trying to figure out what school are you going to go to? Are you, con- are you going to continue going to school? Uh, there's career decisions that you're trying to figure out. What major am I going to pursue? Things like that. For some of you right now, uh, you're seeking major life decisions as it relates to dating and relationships and marriage. And so maybe you're in that season of life and you're, you're facing some of those issues right now. For some of you right now, maybe you're making big decisions about career and you're like, should I change careers? Should I change organizations? Maybe there's a new business venture that you're facing, an opportunity uh, that's kind of come your way. For some of you, maybe it's a big financial decision. Should I buy a new house? Where exactly should I live? What kind of car should I get? Uh, for some of you right now, maybe it's a decision about retirement. And listen, we can go on and on and on. But for some of you, this is a very timely series uh, because you are facing a big life decision. And so if that's you, this series is for you. And it's all about, man, how do we make great decisions, all right? And of course, our approach in this series, just as it is with every series we do here at Grace Church, is that we are looking at what does the Bible teach about this topic, okay? What does the Bible have to tell us about making great decisions? And how can we make decisions that please and honor God, that, that lead to the life that he desires for us? And what does the Bible teach us about making great decisions? And, and, and I said this last week, and I'll say it again. Uh, even though we're looking at what does the Bible teach about great decisions, I want, to, I want to just let you guys know, this series is for everybody. And so even if you're a person that's like, I don't really follow Jesus, and I'm still investigating that, or I'm not even sure if I believe in the Bible, and, I, and I'm not sure. And, and listen, let me just tell you, I think you're going to be surprised at some of the things you're going to see that the Bible teaches about decision-making. It is unbelievably helpful. And so this series is for all of us as we kind of journey through this together. Now, last week, if you were with us, we actually did an introduction to this series. And in that introduction, uh, we really just kind of talked at length about this idea of what does the Bible teach about uh, making great decisions. And by the way, I would encourage you, if you did miss last week, you might want to go back and check that out. You can get that on our website. You can download that on our podcast. All of that is for free. But that would be important because this whole series, the next four weeks, this whole series is really one conversation. And so it all sort of ties together. And so I'd encourage you to go back and check that out. But basically what we did last week, just as a quick review, is we said that the beginning place, the center of making great decisions according to the Bible, if you want to know how to make great decisions according to what the Bible teaches, at the foundation of that is this concept or this teaching about something the Bible calls God's will, okay? God's will. And some of you may have heard of that before, uh, but God's will is a biblical term. In layman's terms, God's will simply means this. It means God's plan or God's desires. Okay, that's what God's will just means in layman's. It's God's plan or it's God's desires. And like I said, the Bible tells us that the very core of making great decisions that are going to lead you to the fullness of life that God desires for you and ultimately where God wants to lead you is understanding and following God's will. Now, the problem with that, we said last week, is that there is a lot of misunderstanding around this topic of God's will. A lot of mystery, a lot of ambiguity, a lot of confusion. How do I know what God's will is? How do I determine that? How do I kind of follow that? And so last week, we just spent the whole introduction trying to talk about what the Bible teaches about the topic of God's will. And you might remember, just a quick review, we said that God's will, according to the Bible, it is commonly believed that there are three aspects of God's will. So when the Bible says God's will, it's speaking of one of three different things. And so the first kind of 
aspect, or I guess if you think about it like concentric circles, the outermost concentric circle of God's will is something that theologians sometimes call God's sovereign will, okay? The Bible teaches that God has a sovereign will. What does that mean? Simply put, the word sovereign means all power or all authority. And that's the teaching that God has a plan, that there is nothing, nothing, that happens that's outside of God's control, that's outside of God's sovereign will, okay? No matter what good thing or bad thing or evil thing or whatever it is that happens, there is nothing that happens outside of the control of God's sovereign will, okay? There's nothing we can do to stop it. There's nothing we can do to thwart it. No one can throw a monkey wrench into God's sovereign will. In fact, in the book of Ephesians chapter one, verse 11, we looked at this last week, the apostle Paul says that God works out everything, everything, and conformity to the purposes of his will. What's that talking about? God's sovereign will, okay? And so for our conversation last week, we said you could think about it like this. We said that the walls of this room, if you just look around, we said the walls of this room, just for, just for the sake of this conversation, you could think of that like God's sovereign will, okay? So every single one of us is in this room. Every single one of us, whether you want to be or not, right? And we're all in this room together. And that's a lot like God's sovereign will. Everyone is in God's sovereign will, whether you want to be or not, whether you worship God or not, whether you, whether you live according to what God says or you don't. Everything happens in conformity to the purposes of God's will. So God's sovereign will. But we said when the Bible talks about God's will, there's some other dimensions. And the second aspect or the second concentric circle is something that is sometimes called God's moral will. Okay, God's moral will. Now, what is that? Well, God's moral will is basically referring to the commandments and the precepts that God has outlined for us in the Bible. Okay? This is God's desires for the way that we humans interact with each other and we interact with God. So think about the commandments, right? Don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, don't commit uh, idolatry, don't commit adultery, those type of things. That's God's moral will, the precepts that he has given to us. The Bible says it's God's will that we're thankful the Bible says it's God's will that we, that we avoid sexual immorality. The Bible says it's God's will that we don't live in relational strife with each other, okay? What are those things? Those are precepts and commandments that God has given us in the Bible. That's God's moral will, right? Now, here's the big difference between God's sovereign will and God's moral will. And you might remember we talked about this last week. We said God's sovereign will is impossible to break. There's nothing we can do to get outside of it. There's nothing you can do to break God's sovereign will. However, God's moral will we said it is entirely possible to break that. It is entirely possible for us to live outside of the commandments that God has given us. In fact, all of us have done that at some point or another or are doing that right now. And so for illustration's sake, we said this room represents God's sovereign will. If that's the case, I said this giant hula hoop, which I just so happened to make myself, um, this giant hula hoop right here, we said this is like God's moral will. Okay? And, and you can see it's inside of God's sovereign will, right? But I can live inside of this or I can break this and I can live outside of this. Now, whether I'm in or out doesn't really matter. It's not going to, ch- I mean, it does matter, but it's not going to change God's sovereign will. Because this is God's moral will. It is the commandments. It is the precepts that God has outlined in scripture. So you have God's sovereign will. You have God's moral will. But then there's another dimension of God's will that many people believe and teach. And that is this concept of God's personal, God's specific will for your life, okay? So think about it this way. If this room is God's sovereign will and this hula hoop represents God's moral will, then you could think of God's specific will for your life like this dot, okay? It's like the bullseye, okay? And this is, the issues of the dot, the decisions of the dot are not primarily concerned with issues of right and wrong, okay? They're not moral issues. It's God's moral will. So it's not, you know, should I lie? Should I cheat? Should I, should I commit adultery? It's like, well, the answer to those questions are no. That's God's moral will for you. But this is not concerned with issues of right and wrong. This is, issue, this is concerned with issues of right and left, okay? Directional decisions. Should I take this job or should I take this job? Should I marry this person or should I marry this person? Should I buy a house in this price range or should I buy a house in this price range? Okay, these are directional decisions and some people would teach that God has a specific personal plan for your life okay, that you need to somehow find and you need to somehow follow. Now last week, last week, right, I made this statement and I said, listen, I am firmly convinced that, that the idea and the teaching that God has a specific personal plan for your life that you need to somehow find and follow is false. That's what I said last week, 
all right? This idea, I got to figure out the one, I got to figure out what school to go to, right? God, show me which restaurant you want me to go to today. You want me to go to Wendy's? You want me to go to Chick-fil-A, right? Which, by the way, I can tell you God's will on that, right? Every day of the week, the answer is Chick-fil-A, except for Sunday because it's closed, and that makes me sad, right? God has closed that door. And, uh, and so, so God's specific will. Okay, so let me say that again. This is really important, all right? I am convinced that the teaching that God has a specific personal will for your life that you are responsible to find and to follow is false. Okay, now I know when I say that, a lot of questions come up for some of you, a lot of objections, quite honestly, and for some of you, you might be thinking, well, wait, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, but I always taught, and what about that thing? And there's this other thing I'm thinking about, and I, and I get it. In fact, just to kind of highlight the tension that comes along with this, this past week, after teaching the first part of Decisions, I actually got a bunch of emails uh, from a bunch of different people who go to this church, which was awesome, by the way. I love that. And uh, all the emails had great questions. Some of them had some great objections all done in a spirit of love. It was phenomenal. Uh, but there was one email in particular that I got, and I actually asked the person who sent me the email. I said, that is such, you, you did such a good job of highlighting the tension that comes along with this teaching. I said, can I share your email? And the person said, yeah, that's not a problem at all. So I just want to share this with you. This is what the person wrote me on Monday morning um, after we preached last Sunday. He said, dear Pastor Tony, I'm not sure if I misunderstood your message this past Sunday or if I got it right. If I got it right, and there is no specific will for your life from God. But, this is great, wasn't the specific will of God for Jonah to go to Nineveh? It wasn't commanded in the scriptures, nor was it commanded to everyone. Or wasn't it the specific will from God, from God to, for Abraham to leave the land of the Chaldeans? Or for Moses to stand before Pharaoh? Or for Christ to go to the cross? These are just some specific examples of the specific will of God for specific people. Like I said previously, I'm sorry if I misunderstood your message. If so, uh, clarification would be helpful. Otherwise, please help me reconcile all of this. Thank you. And I got that email and I read it. I thought, man, great questions. Great, great questions. And so I immediately responded back to him. And I said, hey, man, those are some great questions. Pastor Seth would be so happy to answer those for you. So I forwarded it on to Seth and let him deal with it, right? <laughs> no, that's not what I did. But you see what he's doing. This is great. That email's great. It's drawing out a tension that maybe for some of you, you felt as we've talked about this. And, and if you don't, if you, if, you, if you miss the tension, let me tease it out a little bit. All right, let me just kind of tease it out. So here's the tension. I just said, I just said that I am firmly convinced that the teaching that God has a specific personal plan for your life that you have to somehow find and follow is false. Okay, that's what I just said. But here's the problem then. How in the world then do you explain the dozens and dozens and dozens of examples in the Bible of people who God had a specific personal plan for that he used for specific personal purposes, right? So an example, he, he talked about Jonah in that email. Jonah's a great example. You guys might remember uh, just, a couple, just a couple months ago, we did a series here through the book of Jonah. And how does the book of Jonah begin? It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah and told him to go to Nineveh, right? Now that's clearly a personal plan that God had for Jonah. That is not a universal commandment given to all of us. We're not all jumping on airplanes to fly to ancient Nineveh and preach to the city because that's not a commandment that the Bible gives to everyone. That is a specific personal commandment of a plan that God had for Jonah, right? Or how about this? God appeared to Moses in a burning bush and he said, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and I want you to tell him to let my people go. And then I want you to lead the Israelites for 40 years in the wilderness and I want you to lead them to the promised land, Okay. So clearly, God had a specific personal plan for Moses. He told him in advance what it was, and he commanded him to follow that, right? Uh, what about Mary, the mother of Jesus? The Bible says that, that an angel of the Lord showed up to her and said, Mary, you, are, you have found favor in the eyes of God, and you're going to give birth to the Messiah, to Jesus, right? Clearly, God had a specific personal plan for Mary. Clearly, he did. Or what about Paul, the Apostle Paul? The Bible says before he was Paul, his name was Saul. He vehemently persecuted the church. He would go around and he would kill Christians. And the Bible says that one day he's walking down the road to Damascus and Jesus Christ himself appears to Paul in a blinding light. And Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And from that moment forward, God commands uh, Paul to be an apostle according to the will of God. So clearly, God had a specific personal plan for Paul in mind. Okay, so you see the tension. I hope you see the tension, all right? So, so let me just try to help add some clarity to that. 
because I do think there's some really important things to say on that note. All right, so let me just give you three considerations as it relates to what I call specific supernatural guidance. Specific supernatural guidance. So God is going to tell you this is the plan. He's going to show up in a, with an angel or a blinding light or a vision or whatever, okay? So let me, just, let me just say some stuff about that. Number one, specific supernatural guidance is first off, not ruled out. Is not ruled out. All right, so let me just be real straight on this. Does God sometimes show up in supernatural specific ways to reveal specific things about the plan that he has for a person? And I would say the answer is yes to that question. God has done it before. You've seen it in the past. You've seen it in the Bible. It happens. And so listen, because the Bible doesn't rule it out, we don't rule it out, all right? One of the things you'll learn about us if you're investigating Grace Church right now is that we believe in the authority of the Bible. We believe that when the Bible opens, God's mouth opens. This is God's word to us, okay? And so the Bible doesn't rule it out. Man, we don't rule it out. Could God come to you tomorrow and show up in like a burning bush and tell you what his will is for you. Could he do that? Hey man, I'm not gonna for a second say what God can and cannot do, all right? If he wanted to do, he's done it in the past. If he wanted to do that, I believe he could do that, okay? All right, so it's not ruled out. However, however, all right? However, turn to your neighbor, say however, however, right? However, here's the second thing. It's not ruled out, but listen, not prescribed, not prescribed, You're not gonna find one commandment in the Bible as it relates to God's will where God says you need to seek out specific personal um, guidance to know God's will for your unforeseen future. Never, ever prescribed for us to seek out supernatural specific guidance for our life. Never, 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 never. It is not prescribed, all right? So so let me just add some clarity. You guys might remember the statement I said, so let me just, just, just say it again, okay? I am firmly convinced that the teaching that God has a personal specific plan for your life, now just pause on that, okay? By the way, I am convinced that God does have a plan for you, that God has given you certain gifts and abilities and that he wants to use you according to the purposes of his will. I believe that, I do. Now here's the problem though. I, I am not convinced that the Bible tells us that it's our responsibility to find that and to follow that. Never command it. Let me put it another way. God has never placed the burden on you to somehow figure out mysteriously what God's plan for your future is. Never. As some of you may have, may have heard this terminology before. There's a difference between passages in the Bible that are prescriptive and descriptive. You guys ever hear that language before? Prescriptive and descriptive. What's that all about? There are some passages of scripture that are prescriptive. And what does that mean? It means it's prescribed to everyone. This is what God wants for everybody. Okay, that's God's moral will. So for example, the commandments, right? God says, I don't want you to murder. All right, that's universal for every single one of us. That is prescribed. God says, it's God's will for you that you avoid sexual immorality. That is sex outside of the context as God has designed it. That is true for every person in this room. God has prescribed that to us. However, there's other passages in the Bible that are descriptive, meaning they're not prescribing a behavior to us. They're just describing how something happened. There's a bunch of that. And many of you know, you can get in a lot of trouble when you start looking at descriptive passages and make them prescriptive. So for example, there's this really, really, really crazy story in the Old Testament. I love it. It's about this guy named Balaam. And the Bible says that God speaks to him through a donkey. It is one of the craziest, most bizarre, weird passages. The only time in human history we've ever seen anything like that recorded or happened. God speaks to Balaam through a donkey. But here's the question. The question is, is that prescriptive? Does that mean that you and I, as we're trying to seek God's will, we ought to keep a donkey in the backyard? And anytime we're trying to make decisions in life, we ought to go in the backyard and ask the donkey just in case God wants to do that again. No, no, because why? That's, it's descriptive. God is just telling us that's how that happened. He's not telling us that's the way he's always gonna work universally. Or how about this one? The Bible says that when God told the apostle Paul to be, a, uh, to be an apostle, that he showed up to him in a blinding light on the, light on the road to Damascus and he spoke to him directly. So is that prescriptive? Does that mean that that is the normative way in which God is gonna speak to us? And so we should keep a pair of sunglasses always with us just in case God showed, no. No, because listen, it's, it's, it's descriptive. It's not prescriptive. It is never prescribed, okay? Here's the third thing. Okay, supernatural specific guidance is not ruled out, number one. Number two, it is not prescribed. And then here's the third thing I want you to know. It's not sought out, okay? 
It's not sought out. So let me just put it this way. In the Bible, anytime someone receives specific supernatural guidance, they were not seeking it out. They were not like, God, show me your will. God, show me. Would you just give me a sign? God, I'm just seeking out. What do you want from me? And then God showed up in some miraculous way. Never. Every single time, the person was just going on their way, living life, and God intersected with them in an unexpected way. And listen, and because of that, because of that, there was no shadow of a doubt that they had experienced God in their life. They had no doubt at all. They weren't questioning, God, was that really you? I don't really know. No, they knew. They knew, right? So the Apostle Paul, for example, the Apostle Paul wasn't like, boy, God, I really feel like you want me to be an apostle, but I don't really know for sure. Like, I don't know if that's just a feeling inside of me or if that's just indigestion from what I ate last night, right? Paul's like, no, no, I know that God spoke to me. Why? Because I was blind for three days. It wasn't some subjective experience that happened to me. Something objective happened and the people that were with me saw the light and I was blind for three days. So I'm not like, God, was that you? I don't really know. Jeez. No, he's like, yeah, that was God, okay? Jesus Christ intersected with my life in a powerful way. Or what about Mary? Think about Mary for a minute. Was she like, boy, God, I just really want to know, like, do you, I feel, kind of feel like maybe, maybe, maybe you want to use me for something significant, you know? No, 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 no. Mary knew. Because listen, an angel of the Lord showed up to her and she was terrified. And then after she spoke with the angel, she was pregnant and she was a virgin, right? So, so again, it's not like there was some subjective thing that happened. Uh, that it was with beyond a shadow of a doubt. God spoke to me and God revealed this to me. So specific supernatural guidance is not ruled out. It's not ruled out, but it is not prescribed. It's not the typical way in which God works. He could if he wanted to, but it's not normative. It's not prescribed and it's not sought after. And so the idea that I somehow have to find God's will by, by I have to make sure I just get it right and I just got to seek God and I can't get it wrong because I got to get on the dot. I got to get on the dot. Not a biblical idea. Not a biblical idea. Okay. So the question then is this. Well, then how do we determine God's will? How do you know what God's will is? Because what I said at the beginning of this talk was I said, if you want to make great decisions according to what the Bible teaches, it's all about knowing and following the will of God. Okay, so how do you know and follow the will of God? All right, well, this is where Romans 12 comes in. All right, so I want you to grab your Bibles if you got them. Let's go to Romans 12, and we'll spend the remainder of our time there. Romans chapter 12. So get your Bibles. Go ahead and flip Romans 12. And by the way, if you did not bring a Bible with you this morning, that's not a problem. Uh, we actually have some Bibles that are there for you. They should be in the chairs. And you can grab those black Bibles. You can turn to page 789. Okay, 789 is where you're going to find Romans chapter 12. So go ahead and get there. Um, also, let me just say, if you're new here at Grace and you don't have a Bible, then just do me a favor and take one of ours. Okay, make it a gift from us to you. We think it's important that you own a Bible. Okay, so Romans 12, get there in your Bibles or on your phones or in your iPads. Romans 12, 789. Um, and the reason we're looking at Romans chapter 12, we're actually going to look at two verses, two of some of the most famous verses in Scripture, Romans 12, 1 and 2, just unbelievably powerful verses in the Bible. The reason we're going to look at these two verses is because the Apostle Paul is going to give us a blueprint of how you can determine God's will. How do you know what God's will is? How do you live according to God's will? Well, Paul is going to tell us. He's going to give us a blueprint, okay? So let's take a look. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to, listen, and then, then you'll be able to test and approve what the, what the will of God is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So you guys catch that? The Apostle Paul says, if there's certain things we do, then we'll be able to prove what God's will is. Then we'll be able to live out God's will. Then we can be confident that we are doing what God's will is. So what, what is it the Apostle Paul tells us then are the things that we need to do to make sure that we are living in the will of God? What are the things he says? Well, I want you to notice in this passage, I just want to pay attention to a, cue, a, a couple key phrases that he says that I think are really enlightening. The first thing I want you to notice, if you look back at verse one, notice the word that he starts with. He says, therefore, therefore. All right, so let's just pause there for a second. Um, that word is super important. 
And some of you guys know, anytime you see a therefore in the Bible, it's always referring back to something that was previously said. So in the context of Romans chapter 12, what is this therefore pointing back to? What is that referring to? Well, in this case, what it's referring to is it's referring to what the Apostle Paul has been talking about from chapter 1 to chapter 11 in the book of Romans. And some of you might be asking, okay, what was the Apostle Paul talking about in chapter 1 to chapter 11 in the book of Romans? Well, let me tell you what Romans chapter 1 to 11 is all about. It is all about, in fact, it is one of the most beautiful explanations of the gospel. That's what Romans 1 1 to 11 is all about. You're like, what's the gospel? Well, the gospel is the central teaching of Christianity. And so if you're a person investigating Jesus and you're like, what is Christianity all about? Let me answer that for you. It is all about the gospel. And the gospel is this message. It is the message that you and I are radically sinful people. I know that's not a real, real popular thing to say. But the Bible tells us that one thing that all of us have in common is that we are more messed up than we think we are, okay? I am more messed up than I think I am. I think I'm messed up, but the layers in my dysfunction go deeper than I even know. And the Bible says that we have broken God's law, we've broken his commandments, that because of that, we've become aliens and strangers from God, we've been distant from God. And so Romans tells us that we're radical sinners, but then here's the good news. The good news of the gospel is that God is radically gracious, and that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so the, so the message of the gospel in a nutshell is this. You're more messed up than you think you are. I'm more messed up than I think I am. But we are more accepted than we can imagine. And that we don't have to work our way to God, but that God has worked his way to us, to the person of Jesus Christ. That God has a rescue plan, and it's found in the person of Jesus. That's what Romans 1 to 11 is all about. And it's one of the most beautiful explanations of God's rescue plan, which is called the gospel. So, so when we get to Romans 12, the Apostle Paul says, therefore, he says, therefore. In other words, if you want to understand the beginning place of living in God's will, it starts here. It starts with submitting your life to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to God's rescue plan. I said this last week, and I'll say it again. The book of 1 Peter tells us flat out, it is God's will for you that you are saved, okay? And so let me just be real straight for you. That's where it starts. You want to live in God's will? It starts there. It, it's the decision to surrender your life to the person of Jesus Christ, to embrace God's rescue plan and accept Jesus Christ as Savior. That is the best decision you'll ever make. So if you're a person this morning that's investigating Jesus, you're investigating, you're not sure what you think about all that, we say this all the time, we count it an honor that you would let us be part of that investigation, but I would be lying to you if I told you that it was not God's will for you that you embrace the person of Jesus Christ and become saved. That is the beginning of it all. Okay? That is the greatest decision you can make. So the Apostle Paul starts there. Therefore, therefore, then he says this. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. So in other words, in light of everything that God has done for you. In light of the fact that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. God was so gracious that he sent his son. He says, in view of that, now look what he says. He says, I want you to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true act of worship. So don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then he says, and then, and then, you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So what's he saying here? Here's what he's saying. The apostle Paul says, you want to prove what God's will is? You want to live God's will? And by the way, in this passage, when Paul talks about God's will, he's talking about God's moral will. This is what he's talking about. He says, you want to test and approve what God's will is? He says, here's where it begins. You submit your life to Jesus Christ, okay? He says, and then you offer your body as a living sacrifice. And what what does that mean? What it means is this, is it means that I, I look at what God commands me in scripture. I look at God's will, his moral will for me. And then I offer my body as a living sacrifice, meaning I lay down my personal agenda. I lay down my personal preferences I lay down the way that I instinctually and naturally think and I say, God, I want to submit myself as a living sacrifice to your desires, to your commandments for me, okay? And the Bible says that when we do that, we will not conform to the pattern of this world. We're going to look real different from everyone else when we start living according to what God commands us in our sexuality, in our finances, in our marriage. When we start living out what God has commanded us in scripture, you will not look like the world. You're gonna look really, really different. And the Bible says, so we, we offer ourselves as living sacrifices. We don't conform to the pattern of this world. We become renewed in our mind and then you're, you're proving God's will. You are living in God's will if you do that. 
Now, I know I just said a mouthful. I know I just said a mouthful. And for some of you, you're like, I don't know if I'm really tracking with what you just said. So can you break it down, maybe make it a little easier to understand? So let me try to just put it as simply as I know how to. I wrote this one sentence down in my notes. And if you're taking notes, I would encourage you to jot this down. If you miss everything else that I say this morning, you got to get this. This is the most important part of determining God's will. This is the way I wrote it um, in my notes. I put it this way. I said, seeking God's will, okay, seeking God's will is not about foreseeing God's unknown plan for my future, but it is about surrendering to God's known plan in my present. So let me just say that one more time because this is so important. Seeking God's will is not about foreseeing some unknown future that God has for me. Who should I marry? What school should I go to? God, show me what job. What am I going to be doing in 10 years? That is not what the Bible is primarily concerned about when seeking God's will. Seeking God's will is all about surrendering to God's known plan, his moral will, the commandments he's given me in the present, in the circumstances that I'm in right now. That's what the Bible is talking about when it talks about living in God's will. That is what it's always talking about. Unless it's talking about God's sovereign will, it's always talking about living here. As a living sacrifice, I lay down my preferences and I lay down my opinions and I lay down what comes naturally to me to live according to what God has commanded me. And the Bible says when you do that, you will prove God's will. You will be living in God's will. You'll be right where God wants you if you do those things. And you guys, I think that is such an important clarification because for whatever reason, a lot of us think that seeking God's will is about figuring out mysteriously some unknown future that God has for me. God, I just want to know what is it that you want from me? I, I, it's, like, it's like fortune telling, right? God, just show me the way. God, just show me the path. And I think it's so confusing because when we live that way and when we view God's will that way, what we end up doing is we end up asking the wrong questions about God's will. Uh, so let me, let me just get super practical. All right, let me give you a couple examples. For some of you right now, you are wanting to know what God's will is for your life. And here's the question that you're asking. Uh, you might be a person that's seeking God's will in your relationships. You might be a person right now who is single and you wish to be married. And let me just say, by the way, if you're single and you want to get married, that is awesome. That's a great, that is a great desire to have, okay? And I, I totally get that. And let me also say that if you're single and you like being single, that is awesome too. That's a great thing. I don't know why it is. For some reason in the church sometimes we talk about singleness like it's a disease and it's not. The Bible says it's actually a gift. And so for some of you, that is really awesome. But if you're a person right now and you're single and you wanna be married, that's great. That's an awesome thing, right? But here's the question you might be asking about God's will. You might be saying, God, show me the one. Show me the one, right? I pray that when I come in church today, which by the way, if you're coming here to meet someone, I can't blame you. There's a lot of attractive people in this church, right? So kudos to you guys, right? And, and so, so you might be like, God, I pray you'd show me the one. I pray when I walk in, a light from heaven would descend and would shine in Shekinah, Shekinah glory around the person and you would speak to me, right, from heaven. I pray, God, that today when I walk into whatever establishment, I would make eye contact with the one, Right? And there would be spidey senses tingling and everything would move in slow motion, you know? That song by Sting would come on the radio. Every breath you take, you know? You're like, that's what I want, God. Show me the one. And, uh, and, and, and let me just say, um, if that's the way you're trying to pursue God's will, you're trying to figure out some mysterious unknown future, you've misunderstood God's will, all right? God's will is not about trying to figure out or foresee some some strange futuristic thing that's going to happen. Here's what God's will is concerned about. Are you currently surrendered in your life to God's moral will? So, so how about this? If you're looking for God's will in your life, rather than asking God, who's the one? Who is the right one? Here's the better question. God, am I the right one? God, am I, am I surrendering? The Bible has so much to say about what it means to be a godly man or a godly woman or what it means to be a godly husband or a godly wife. And the question is, are you submitted to that? Are you submitted to that? Are there, are there unhealthy um, characteristics, habits, addictions in your life that are contrary to what God has commanded you? All right, then how about start there? That's God's will for your life, surrender. 
offer your body as a living sacrifice. The Bible says, for example, the Bible says that we should avoid sexual immorality. That is God's will for your life. And sexual immorality, we said this last week, is living outside of God's parameters for sex. That is sex outside of marriage in any way as God has designed it to be. And so the Bible says that it's his will that we avoid that. And you might be asking, God, show me the one, show me the one, show me the one. But right now, you're living sexually outside of what God desires for you right now. And so maybe you're dating around and you're hooking up with different people. Or maybe for you, you have a porn addiction and you keep going back to that same thing over and over again. Well, well, how about this? Before you start asking God who the person is for you, why don't you start here? Offer your body as a living sacrifice. Surrender yourself to a God. That is God's will for you. That is God's will for you, right? I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking, yeah, but everyone else is doing it this way. Everyone else is sleeping around and doing this thing. and doing it. Okay, but that's why the Bible says, don't you, don't you conform to the pattern of this world. You be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You live in accordance with what God's will for you is right now. Some of you right now are trying to make a career decision. God, show me the job. What is the job that you've created for me? There's these really great alternatives and you're trying to figure that out. And let me just say, if you're in that decision point right now, it is smart to pray about it. It is smart to, to seek out wise counsel on a decision like that. That is awesome. But if you are somehow trying to read the tea leaves to figure out, God, what is your specific personal plan that you have for me? I just want you to show me you've misunderstood God's will. You've misunderstood it. Because here's God's will. God's will is that you are obedient to him in the present. So here's a better question as it relates to work. Are you fully submitted to what the Bible teaches about the way a Christian should conduct themselves in the work, workplace? Because the Bible has a lot to say about the way a Christian should conduct themselves in the work. And I know not everyone in this room is a Christ follower, but for those of us who follow Jesus, you know what the Bible tells us? The Bible tells us we should work hard. The Bible tells us we should work smart. The Bible tells us that we should work honestly with integrity. The Bible says that we should work is unto the Lord. That is to say, we give our best, we give our best to everything that God has put in front of us. And so my question to you is, before you answer the question about the future, man, are you submitted to God's will for you in the workplace now? Are you, right? Are, are, are you in a place right now where maybe, maybe, maybe you don't work honestly? Maybe you cut corners. Maybe you're lazy. Uh, maybe, maybe right now you work in such a way where you, you always give it half, heart, uh, half of your heart because you always have one foot out the door because you're constantly thinking about your future. Well, let me just tell you, start there. Start there. That's God's will for you. And then if you're in here and you're living that out, then make a choice. Make a decision. That's fine. You can make decisions if you're inside of God's moral will. Some of you right now, you're trying to make uh, maybe some type of decision about a big financial purchase. Should I buy this house? Should I buy this house? God, show me what is the house that you have for me. God, the car. I pray you just, what, what new car should I buy? And you're trying to figure out the mysterious future to foresee what God's plan and God's will is. And let me just say, if that's the case, you've probably misunderstood God's will. It's because God's will is all about, are you submitting yourself to what God has revealed to you in the known present? The better question is this, are you fully submitted to God in your financial situation currently? The Bible has so much to say about the way those of us who follow Jesus should conduct ourselves financially. Ton is, the Bible has a ton to say about debt and about how consumer debt is just a really, really poor decision. It's something that we should avoid at all costs. The Bible talks about being generous. God loves a cheerful giver. The Bible talks about giving of our finances to the orphan and to the widow and to ministries and things like that. And listen, if you're, if you're trying to figure out what, what is your finance, should I, should I buy this house or should I buy this house? Well, how about you start here? If you're not fully submitted in your finances to God's plan for you today, that's God's will for you. That is God's will for you. Some of you right now, you're like, man, God, I would do anything for you, right? God, I would, I would do any, you tell me what to do and I'll go. You want to be a missionary? I'll move to, I'll sell everything. I'll move to another country and I will do that. You just show me the way and I will go. God, if you want me to be a pastor, if you want me to pursue ministry, if you want me, I'll do whatever, God. And let me just say that if that's you, I love that. I love that passion. I love that enthusiasm. But listen, here, here, here's the key to following God's will. Are you making disciples now? God has commanded those of us who follow him to make disciples. Are you using your spiritual gifts and abilities to serve in, the, in Christ's church today? That's God's will for you. You see, guys, I think sometimes, unfortunately, we make this idea of knowing God's will some mysterious, strange concept that is so ambiguous and so hard to understand, and we overcomplicate it. It really genuinely isn't that complicated. The Bible says, here's where it's at, man. 
You surrender yourself to God's moral will. You offer your body as a living sacrifice. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. You be transformed by the renewing of your You live here, and then you're going to prove God's will. You're going to prove it. It's going to show up, right? But for some reason, we, we tend to make it this mysterious thing that like, man, you know, I just got to figure, I got to read the signs and I have to try to figure out like, is that God or is that me? Does God want me to go to this school or does God want me to go to that school? And sometimes what we think is we think that there's one person who has some advantage over another person in knowing God's will. Well, that person, they have special insight into God's will, right? Pastor Seth, he's a pastor. So apparently he has a direct line to God so he can tell me God's will for my life. And let me just say something to you real quick. That, that there is not one person that has any advantage over another person in this room in finding God's will. We all have the same opportunity to know God's will and to walk in it. And you're like, what is that opportunity? Well, here it is. It is the Bible. It is God's word. The person who knows God's word is the person who knows God's will, okay? The person who knows God's will is the person who knows God's word. You know his word, you know the commandments, you know the precepts, you understand what the Bible teaches, you get this. And once you begin to get that, then listen, you can know what God's will is and you can walk in God's will, right? I, I, I gotta just tell you guys this. This, this is something that, um, and hear me in love, this is something that bothers me sometimes. Sometimes I'll talk to people and they'll say to me, they'll say, man, I just wish, I just wish that God would just show me his will. I wish that God would just reveal his will to me. I wish he would just make it known to me. Every time I hear that, I just can't help but think to myself, yeah, but he has. God has. And people are like, man, I wish that God, I wish he would just spell it out for me. Like, what does he want for me? Just spell it out. And I'm like, he did. He did, right? And, and, and listen, people are like, man, I wish God's will, I wish it was easy and accessible. I wish I could access God's will. And listen, you can, you can. Did you know that right now in the English language, there are over 50 translations of the Bible available to us? Over 50. It's in our, God's like, you want to know what my will is? I'll write it to you in your language. And we're like, yeah, but this has a lot of these and thous, and I don't really understand it. And God's like, that's okay. Here's 49 other translations. There you go, right? You want to know my will? There it is. You guys, the Bible is so accessible. It's right there at your fingertips. You can buy it anywhere. You can read it online. For crying out loud, we give it away for free. Every week, we're like, you don't have a Bible? Take a Bible. You go to a hotel room and you open up the drawer and what's in there, right? It's a Bible. Thanks to the Gideons, there it is. It's so accessible. And we're like, God, I wish you would just make your will known to me. He's like, well, there you go. You guys, it is so accessible that right now it is on your phone. We, we have the Bible app on our phone. You're like, what is God's will? I wish you would show it to me. It's in your pocket. God's will is literally in your pocket. It's at your fingertips, right? You're playing video games on it right now. I can see you, by the way. No, I'm sorry. And, and, it's just right there, right? And we're like, I wish God would just show me his will. I wish he would just show me his will. He has, it's in the Bible. And, and, and you're like, but I don't really know the Bible. Well, there you go. Start there. And you're like, but I don't like to read. And I'm like, are you kidding me? God has done everything. In fact, my Bible app, I don't know about you guys, my Bible app will read itself to me. I just hit play. Will, I have a Bible that reads itself to me. And I imagine that God's like, we're like, God, I wish you would show me. And he's like, what else can I do? Your Bible reads itself to you. You could just literally sit there, right? And, and please, I just want you guys to hear me. I, I don't, I don't want to come across as a jerk, but you can probably tell I get really passionate about this. And the reason I get so passionate about it, and, and just please hear my heart, the reason I get so passionate is because so many foolish regretful decisions that we make could be avoided if we would just do this, if we would just know God's word. And I, I don't just mean on a surface level. I don't mean know a verse here and know a verse there and memorize it. I mean, I mean to have a deep knowledge of what the Bible teaches and then to submit ourselves to it to offer ourselves as a living sack. God, I want you to define and direct my marriage. I want you to define and direct my finances. I want you to define and direct my sexuality. I'm just telling you, if we did that, all of the issues that we see in our counseling sessions would be avoided. So many painful, hurtful, regretted decisions that I see that, we, that I've made could be avoided here, right? And so the Bible, man, that's God's will. That's what God, it's revealed to us. Let me give you a couple quotes from guys way smarter than me real fast. 
Um, a guy named R.C. Sproul, he's a theologian. He, I love the way he said this. Check this out. So many Christians become preoccupied or even obsessed with finding the will of God for their lives. If the will we are seeking is his sovereign will, that our, that our quest is a fool's errand. The secret counsel of God is his secret. He has not been pleased to make it known. Far from being a mark of spirituality, the quest for God's sovereign will is an unwarranted invasion of God's privacy. God's secret counsel is none of our business. This is partly why the Bible takes such a negative view of fortune-telling, necronomacy, and other forms of prohibited practices. Now, what is he talking about there? This is really great. What he says is, he says, listen, if you're trying to figure out the future, the unknown future, God's plan for your unknown future, Bible never commands you to do that, ever. And he says, and not only is it not a great thing, it also is an invasion of God's privacy. God has never commanded you to do that. And he says, that's why the Bible, by the way, is always against some kind of fortune-telling, um, necronomacy, which is basically that whole idea of reading tarot cards and reading the signs and reading the tea leaves. And it's like the Bible is against things like astrology, and the horoscopes, why? Because all of that is some mystical approach to trying to figure out what my future is. You know what the Bible teaches most frequently? The Bible says, don't worry about the future. Don't worry about it. You live here. You submit yourself and surrender yourself to what God has for you now. And guess what? He will take care of the rest. That's what Proverbs says, that same thing. You, know, you submit yourself to God's purposes now and he will make your path straight. He will take care of it. I think this is what Jesus meant, by the way, when he said, seek first the kingdom and its righteousness. You seek me, you seek righteousness in your life and all this other stuff is gonna be added to you. Okay, you don't have to worry about your future. So basically, it's this idea. If you concern yourself with living according to God's will for you today, his known will for you today, then you can live here and you can make decisions. You can just make choices. And you can be confident that you're within God's will because God's will is not so much about a destination of where you're gonna be, it's about who you're gonna be. It's about a character thing, right? One more quote, this is uh, from D.A. Carson. D.A. Carson is a theologian as well. He said, it is folly to pretend to seek God's will for your life in terms of marriage partner or some form of Christian vocation when there is no deep desire to pursue God's will as he has already kindly revealed it. See what he's saying? Why are you so concerned about what God wants for you tomorrow when you're not concerned about obedience today? Take care of obedience today and tomorrow will take care of itself. God will take care of that. And, and listen, here's the thing, you guys. I don't know about you. This is so liberating to me. This teaching about we can know God's will, we can walk in God's will, we can be confident. This is so liberating. And it, for a couple of reasons. One is it liberates us from the tyranny of uncertainty. We don't constantly have to live under the tyranny. I don't know if I'm making the right choice, God. I don't know if this man, I'm always second guessing. You don't have to second guess. Are you living in accordance to God's word or are you not? That's God's will for you. But the other thing it does, and this is so liberating, is it liberates us from subjectivity and trying to determine God's will. I don't know how it became the case, but for some reason, subjectivity has become the, the main way that Christians determine the will of God. How I feel or do I have peace about it? I'm sure you guys have probably heard people say, I just really feel like this is what, I feel like this is what God, I have a peace about it. But look, man, that is so subjective. It's so subjective. And all of us know that our feelings change at any given moment. Never forget when I went to, I went to a Christian college. And as you can imagine, being at a Christian college, there was a lot of talk about the will of God, especially as it related to dating relationships, right? And I remember I had this one friend of mine and really, really good guy, godly guy, loved Jesus. And he met this girl, really, really good girl, loved Jesus. She was awesome. And they went on this walk. I remember they went on this one walk. They started dating. And they went on this one. It was like a, a really nice day in Chicago. It was like an enchanted day. And they went for this walk. And I remember he came back. And I remember we were talking late at night that night. And he's like, dude. He goes, she is the one. She is it. And, I, you know, I didn't know any better. So I was like, man, how do you know? Like, how do you know? He's like, God told me. I was like, he did. It's like, how did he do that? I, I, I like, because I'm like, that's never happened to me. Like, how did God tell you? And he's like, I just felt it, man. I just feel it. I didn't hear a voice. I just kind of felt it, you know? He's like, I just, I prayed about it. I have a peace. She is the one. She is the one. And I'm like, oh, I wish I knew the one. I wish I could tell. And he's like, oh, you'll know. He's like, you'll know. Yeah, you know. Trust me. I just know, right? And I heard so many people say that. And I was like, oh, okay. That's awesome, you know? Well, a couple weeks later, I went for a walk again. And I remember this guy came back and he was devastated. Bald, crying. I was like, man, what happened? And he's like, dude, she broke up with me. I was like, oh, man. I'm like, I'm so sorry, man. That, that stinks. I said, did she give you any reason why? And he goes, yeah. I said, she said God told her that we shouldn't be together. 
And I was like, oh, man. He's like, yeah, she prayed about it. She didn't feel peace about it. She didn't feel like it was what God wanted. So she said, God doesn't want us to be together. And I didn't say this in the moment because it would have been really kind of cold-hearted to say it. But I remember thinking to myself in that moment, boy, God seems real confused these days. (laughs) Telling her this, he seems to be contradicting himself quite a bit right now, right? And, and, And please hear me on this, okay? I don't, I don't necessarily think that making decisions based on how you feel and based on whether or not you have peace about it is wrong. As long as you're in here, God can totally use that, right? I, I think if you're like, I just, something about this decision feels wrong. That's fine. That's fine. But as long as you're in here, because the truth is, and you guys know this, there are plenty of things that God has asked us to do in scripture that we do not feel like plenty of things. I remember talking to one guy one time and he said to me, he goes, you know, I've been really praying about it and I have a lot of peace in my heart. I really feel like God is telling me I need to take a break from church for a year. I just need to seek God on my own, get in the woods and pursue Jesus. It's like, that sounds really great, but that's not God's will for you. I know it's not God's will for you. He's like, how do you know? It's not God's moral. The Bible says, the Bible says that, that those of us who follow Jesus, we're the body of Christ. We're to be committed to each other, right? The Bible says that we should not forsake the gathering together as some are in the habit of doing. And, and do we, listen, do we always feel like doing this? I, I am not under any impression today that everyone in this room got up this morning and said, yeah, church, snowing outside, woohoo, right? right? I, I understand that, I understand that. There's plenty of times God calls us to do things that we don't feel like or that we don't have peace. That's why the Bible says, offer your body as a living sacrifice, You die to certain desires. You die to certain preferences because you want to determine God's will in your life. That's God's will. And if you do that, then you can prove what God's will is and you can live according to it. You can be confident and you can make decisions. You can make great decisions. And the Bible says, here's where it starts. So I'll leave you with this question. Here's the last question I'll ask you. We'll be done. For those of us who follow Jesus, are there any areas in your life that are not submitted to Christ? Your finances, your sexuality, your work ethic, your marriage, your relationships, your dating, that's God's will for you. God's will for you is that you offer yourself as a living sacrifice in those areas, and then you can be confident. You can know that you are right in God's will, and he will lead you, and he will guide you, and he will make your path straight. And that's the key to decision-making in the will of God. Let's pray. Well, God, I want to say thank you so much for your word to us this morning. You haven't left us in the dark. You didn't leave us guessing, second guessing, trying to read signs, trying to figure out what you want for it. God, you've made it known. You've made it known. You've made it clear. You've made it accessible. You've put it at our fingertips. We can know what you want. And the person that knows your word knows your will. And so, God, I pray that you would help us. Help us to grow in our desire to know the Bible. Lord, help, us, help us to really pursue that. And, and then, Lord, I pray you'd help us that we would sacrifice ourselves as living sacrifices to what you've already commanded. Lord, and for some of us, that's not natural. It's not easy. We have preferences. Uh, we have desires. We have, we have, we have feelings that uh, they don't always coincide with what you've asked us. But I feel like that's why you've told us in view of God's mercy, because of the great love that you have for us, because we trust that what you want for us is better than we want for ourselves. We pray that you'd help us to surrender ourselves to what you have made known today. And then help us to live, Father, from under the, under the uh, without feeling the, 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 the tyranny of uncertainty. Help us to live in freedom because it's for freedom that you've set us free. And I say thank you, Jesus, for, for your grace to us. We pray in Christ's name.